Vladdy Guerrero hits it on the ground. Richie Martin has it. Scooped and dropped by Mancini. Guerrero is headed for second, and he is safe. The ball gets away from VR. A forgettable inning for the Orioles, for sure. It'll be an air on the shortstop. Guerrero may have injured himself, as he is still on the ground at second. I don't know if the ball hit him or if he had an awkward slide into the bag, but Mancini couldn't come up with the low throw. There was a little bit of a collision with the first baseman when he was trying to go to second base and then an awkward slide into second. At the Letters, brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger, Ben Nicholson-Smith, Arden Zwelling. It is not the last week of the season. I wish it was. It's almost the last week of the season. We're nearly there. I think we're almost down to single digits left in terms of games played for the Toronto Blue Jays. They win. They lose. It doesn't really matter. All that really matters between now and the end of the season is, does anybody get hurt? And guys getting hurt. Tim Mesa, Tommy John surgery out for all of next season. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., rib cage injury coming out of Wednesday's game. This season, he's had an oblique issue, a knee issue, a rib cage issue. We're not sure right now as we sit here whether or not he's going to play again this year. It depends on the severity of the injury, which we do not know yet. But I do think this is a good time to kind of look at the season that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has had. Would you rate it a disappointment would you rate it uh a what's the opposite of a disappointment pleasant surprise i guess or would you you know encouraging how would you rate it well i think it has to be evaluated relative to the insane expectations Mm. that vladimir Guerrero jr faced and partly due to people like ourselves who are talking about his potential as a franchise changing player and so compared to those expectations, which were among the loftiest we have ever seen for a player coming to the major leagues, it's a disappointment. I don't think there's any two ways about it, really. I mean, this is someone who has hit at the major league level um, better than league average, and his OPS plus is around 110. So he's definitely producing. But when you compare that to what we thought he could be, when you compare that to the stretches that we saw from him at times, and you factor in the defense, which has definitely been... Uh, you know, a weakness for him compared to the standard set at third base around the league. You factor in the injuries. I think it has to be considered a disappointment. It absolutely does, Um, which is kind of funny to sit here now saying that after sitting here like not that long ago, man, like five months ago and being like, wow, look at this guy's minor league numbers. And in a way, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is a victim of his own success. Right. Um, because his minor league OPS over the course of his minor league career was like 950, you know, and he walked more than he struck out. He, he put up minor league numbers that are absolutely uncommon in this game. And it's always dangerous to assume that that's just going to translate to the majors. Um, and obviously he started with quite a slump when he first came up and did not look great at all. And then he caught fire for a while and now he's kind of turned back into slumping and like arguably looks a little bit out of gas uh, in the last couple of weeks, like looks like a guy who is like tired right now and is ready for the season to be over. Yeah. When you look at the hot streaks, you can see the potential. I mean, we saw it in August where he was one of the best rookies in baseball, one of the best hitters in baseball, along with Bobichet, kind of quietly throughout that month. And we saw it for stretches earlier in the season, too, where Vladdy just showed that he can make contact like no one else. He's got insane power. We saw that in the home run derby, and that was an impressive display from Vlad. 
But with that, with those strengths in his game, we've also seen him chasing more than I thought we would at breaking balls off the plate. Um, we've seen him make a lot of defensive mistakes. We've seen the injuries. So there are signs there. And you still, I still look at this guy as someone who has incredible franchise changing potential for this team. That that hasn't changed for me. But if we're evaluating this season, it definitely fell short of expectations. You know what he looks like? He looks like he's 20. You know, like he looks like he's supposed to be uh, like what in his like junior year of college. Right. Like he looks like he's supposed to be pre-draft right now if he was a college player um, and he's in the majors. It, you know, where were you when you were 20? Right. Like, how did you deal with failure when you were 20? And we see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. not deal with failure very well, which I think explains some of the chasing. Because you'll see when he gets a pitch that is off the plate that is called a strike. You can see it in his eyes. You can see, often you can see it in his entire body language. He's not happy with it. And then usually after that, you see him chase and you see him expand. And part of what made him so good in the minors was his plate discipline and was not chasing crap and was being able to force pitchers into the zone where he can make really, really good contact, where he has a preternatural ability to get the barrel of his bat on pitches all around the zone. And that's why you see the exit velocities. Like uh, I haven't looked recently, but for a while this year, he had the hardest hit ball in the majors and he had a bunch in like the top 20. The guy can barrel it up. He just needs to get pitches in the zone. So, you know, I think we are seeing him adjust to some of the challenges of being at the majors and failing in front of as many people as he is and learning to deal with major league umpires and strike zones that are inconsistent and the treatment that rookies get in their first go round in the big leagues. They don't get the benefit of the doubt on a lot of calls. Um, the other side of that is he's 20. He's probably not taking his conditioning seriously enough. The body composition isn't where it needs to be. And I mentioned oblique injury, rib cage injury. He had the knee issue earlier this year, which didn't cost him much time, but he still went for the MRI. You don't go for an MRI when like everything's great in your knee. Clearly something was wrong. And he had a similar issue in the same knee the year prior. I think the conditioning and the body composition has to absolutely be a focus this offseason because next year you don't want to see a similar September where Vladdy looks tired. I think you raise a couple of good points there. And to start with the point about failure and the way that he's had to deal with that, I think it's really true that these guys, especially top prospects, they arrive at the major leagues having not really failed all that much in a lot of cases. Yeah. And him especially. Him especially, yes. You imagine how fun would it have been to be Vlad Jr. in 2015, 16, 17, 18, when you are just crushing minor league pitching. Right. You are just astonishing these coaches around you and onlookers and prospect gurus and media members are just in awe of everything that you're doing. I mean, and it really was awesome what what Vladdy was doing. So that would have been incredibly fun. And then to get to the major leagues, incredibly fun. He hits a double in his first major league game. His dad is on hand to see it. He's just riding this wave. And then I think he came face to face with reality to some extent where major league pitching is really, really good. And they were able to expose some weaknesses in his game, whether it was just painting the edges of the strike zone and knowing that, that they were going to get those calls, making him chase a little bit, We've seen pitchers succeed against Vlad in ways that they never had before. And then when that happens, he has to make adjustments and he has to find out, okay, who am I going to turn to if I am feeling down on myself? Who am I going to turn to if I need extra time in the cages? Who do I trust when it comes to my swing? Because I have no doubt that there are tons of people out there 
even within the Blue Jays organization, who are willing to give Vladdy pointers. So who does he listen to? Is it Justin Smoke? Is it Guillermo Martinez? Is it Dave Hudgens? And who does he tune out? Because he can't possibly take in all the information from these voices. So, you know, to me, those are challenges that would be I'm a lot older than 20 years old. And, you know, when I when I just a bit. <laughs> yeah, when I'm trying to get better in my job, I have to make those same decisions myself. But that's not an instantaneous process. Right. So to try to do that at 20, when everyone's watching every single move that you make, I think that'd be really hard. So what did the Blue Jays do to get Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to come back next season in better shape? and better conditioned and better able to withstand the rigors of a full season. Um, you know, we've kind of seen the load management of Vladdy this year a little bit. Like, it's interesting to see that Boba Shot has played every single day since he came up. And Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is getting a day off, you know, every three or four. Clearly, there's a reason why those two players at very similar points in their careers are being treated very differently in terms of their workload. So I would expect that to continue next season. But clearly, work needs to be done this offseason in order for Vladimir Guerrero Jr. to be better conditioned in 2020. I think you're right. When you think about that next step, it is important for him to arrive at spring training in the absolute best condition possible. So that's a given. We would all agree with that. So if you're the Blue Jays, then I think this is where it comes down to really knowing your own personnel. And you need to assess who is it within the organization that Vladdy trusts the most. And you need to have that person deliver the message to him that, hey, man, you're going to have to go and show up in as good shape as you possibly can. That probably means working out or spending a lot of time at the Dunedin facility Mm -hmm. where they have their staff on hand and they have, you know, a lot of resources there from a health and nutrition standpoint. My sense is the Jays would want him to be there. So is that Montoyo? Is that Guillermo Martinez? Is it Ross Atkins? Who's that person that Vladdy trusts the most? And make sure that, you know, that person delivers that message and makes it known to Vlad that that's really important for him and the team. It's hard to ask a guy who lives in the Dominican Republic and whose family is in the Dominican Republic to just be in Florida for his entire offseason. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think the Blue Jays need to do that. What I would do is I would say, look, season uh, ends at the beginning of October. Go home. You got October, November, December. Enjoy yourself, like recover, rest, spend time with family, like, you know, see people, all that. And then starting January, come to Dunedin and let's set up like a little camp for you. You know, from the beginning of January through to the middle of February when uh, spring training begins. It's not like a little six week mini camp and come in and we're going to, you know, set up your your meals and we're going to have you working out every day with our people. And we're going to establish some baselines for you for 2020 in terms of your power and your flexibility and all those different kinds of things. Then we're going to use those to inform how we train you throughout the season it's kind of similar to what Jose Bautista had players doing, you know, back in the day, like 2015, 14 years where he would have a bunch of guys down because Bautista lived like near Dunedin, have a bunch of guys down to Florida and they'd all work out together. Remember Aaron Sanchez taking part in that, like Ryan Goins, Kevin Pillar, like a lot of players uh, made use of that. And it kind of became a bit of a culture around the team. And, you know, guys were just in, they were more ready to start the year off when spring training arrived. Yeah, it's an interesting idea. And if done well, then absolutely that would pay off. And the interesting thing is, if you deliver that message poorly to Vladdy, then you run the risk of him feeling confused or alienated from the team, yeah. from the team's decision makers. You know, it's it's a tricky thing because I'm sure you saw the New York Times article about his, uh, his grandmother and the cooking that yeah. she does for him still. A really good article by James Wagner. And it really 
kind of just underline that connection that they have and how important that is to Vladdy. So you can't just go to him and be like, hey, you have to totally change everything that you've done as a major leaguer, as a person. That's not going to be something that you want to just trample over. You have to do it with grace and consideration for his own kind of history with his grandmother. So there are all these different aspects of it, you know, his own home in the Dominican, which he's been away for now for a long time. So maybe like you said, he gets to go home for a couple of months, spend some time there and then start it up. But the stakes are high and you have to be pretty careful with this one. The last point of Vladi is the defense, um, which is continuing to progress. (laughs) Let's say Uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So far, 17 errors on the season. He is a negative in DRS. He is a negative in UZR, uh, not a good major league defender. We have to remember that he only started playing third base shortly after he was drafted by the Toronto Blue Jays. So he's only been playing third base at a very high level for a very short amount of time. And fans don't get to see how far he's already come. You know, like it, like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Uh, in like Lansing or Dunedin third base was a lot worse than it is now. And Blue Jays fans are just seeing the product now and that's understandable, but he's come a long way. So clearly he can get better and he can grow and he can improve. And the Blue Jays are in a position right now where they can offer him that runway at the major league level to get better um, and to develop in the big leagues and to continue to progress. And next year, they're going to be able to offer that to him as well, I would imagine, unless they like, you know, blow the doors off the American League East, which nobody's really expecting them to. Uh, By 2021, that runway ends. That's the end of that. Like, that's the year where you need outs and you need somebody who can make plays in the big leagues. So I don't think that you're moving Vladimir Guerrero Jr. anywhere next season. I think you're continuing to let him play third base. But if there isn't market improvements next year in terms of his defense, which is like, let's be honest, not good enough for the major leagues at third base right now. If he doesn't get a lot better next year, 2021, he's probably my first baseman or designated hitter. Yeah. Or maybe even, you know, corner outfielder um, conceivably. But I agree. I, I don't think the time for that discussion is now when it comes to a potential position change because he's just young. You know, he's just 20 years old. And you look at guys like Derek Jeter when they had their first pro seasons. You look more recently at Rafael Devers, who, you know, when he came up and first started playing with the Red Sox, that was not pretty at third base. And he's gotten a lot better. Now it's not really as much of a talking point around Devers. Um, So I think Vladdy has a chance to continue making improvements. And we've seen that even this year at the major league level, he's improved. So if that continues, great. He's a third baseman. If not, you figure something out. But I think for the really the next little while, you don't even have to worry about making that choice. Just keep working at it. Try to keep working on the ground balls, on the throws and the reads, everything that goes along with that. And eventually he will get better and we'll see if it's good enough. So Vladimir Guerrero Jr. right now, 783 OPS. I think we all assume he's going to be better next year. If I were to set the over under of his 2020 OPS at 850, would you take the over or the under? I'm definitely taking the over. 100%. Yeah, easy, easy over. You? I might go under. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. We'll see. I think I'll go under just to be different. Wow. Well, that's a little preview of the 2020 over under. <laughs> yeah, no, I reserve the right to change yeah, this no, when course, we do our over under yeah. next year. Yeah. <laughs> missed the first 61 ball games of the season. 
coming back from Tommy John surgery. 3-2 from Meza, thrown behind his back as that ball slipped out, and then Meza crumples. Oh, my goodness. This is devastating. Tim Meza on release as the ball sailed behind the back of Gregorius, fell to his knees, dropping his mitt, and is now peeling his jersey over his nose, covering his eyes as he writhes in pain on top of the Rogers center mound. Didi Gregorius on the release of that pitch pointed out towards the mound as he watched Tim Meza wilt. Justin Smoke has come over, a very concerned Kevin Biggio, unable to assess the situation. He's covered his mouth, looks so concerned, leaning down on one knee on top of the mound. Charlie Montoya with an arm around the backside of Tim Meza. Nikki Huffman, the head trainer out there, as Tim Meza now goes upright. He's clinching that left arm, keeping it tight near his body, breathing deeply. His face is bright red. Charlie Montoya reaches down for his glove, helping his young left-hander stride by stride off of the Rogers Center mound and in what is just an absolutely gut-wrenching moment. At the Letters is brought to you by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger. Built Ford Tough is the foundation of Canada's popular lineup of rugged and dependable Ford pickups. Now even more remarkable with the all-new Ford Ranger tested under conditions more extreme than you would ever likely encounter. Tim Meza has had Tommy John surgery. He is going to miss all of the 2020 season, return for 2021. What does this mean for the Toronto Blue Jays bullpen? They already needed a lefty. Now they probably really need a lefty. Yeah, they definitely do. And maybe you get one guy internally. I think Thomas Pannone, when you look at his numbers as a reliever, has been pretty effective in that role. And he's he has not been effective as a starting pitcher. So to me, move on from Pannone as a starting pitcher. He's done. He had his chance. It didn't work. Now as a reliever, he gets the chance to come in there and be effective in that role where he's actually showing promise. So that's the first move I would make is make Pannone your lefty reliever. Um, and the Blue Jays seem to be doing that. They haven't started him in the last six weeks or so. And then beyond that, they still need to go out and add. No doubt, this is a need for them in the offseason. I wonder about Pannone as a one-inning high-leverage reliever because of the lack of velocity. Uh, maybe his fastball plays up a little bit out of the bullpen, but like, so you're playing up from 89 to 91. Uh, I think you want somebody with a bit more juice in that spot. I think Thomas Pannone, I agree, like works as a reliever, but as like a multi-inning guy, like as a, you know, Sam Gaviglio role type of dude, just from the left side. I think for my like lefty that I'm bringing in to get a couple lefties out or, you know, a couple, you know, a lefty, a switch hitter and another lefty out in the seventh or eighth inning. I want somebody who's like mid-90s with a wicked breaking ball, and that's not Thomas Pannone. Right. I mean, you want that, but in the <laughs> absence of that guy, who I'm not seeing on the Blue Jays roster, I don't think it's Buddy Boshears. So, I mean, <laughs> you got to work with what you have to an extent, right? So, I'd, I'd start with Pannone and then try to find that guy, too. True, true. Travis Bergen, a, a Blue Jay again. Maybe that's somebody who fills that role next year. Um, so, while we're trying to add... Blue Jays relievers. Let's see if we can also subtract one in Ken Giles, who we expect the Blue Jays to explore the trade market for this offseason. They obviously explored it at the trade deadline, couldn't get something done. Uh, for a while there, the usage was kind of inconsistent with Ken Giles. The last few outings, like it's been a bit more, like we've seen him more often. Like we haven't seen him take like a week where they just you just don't see him at all. Like we've kind of seen him in an every other day pattern now, but you haven't seen him go back to back days in a long, long time. If you're a team looking at maybe acquiring Ken Giles this offseason, I mean, what are you reading into when you look at his usage and his performance on the mound right now? 
it's a red flag for me, or at least a dark yellow veering into orangey <laughs> red flag, because, you know, you look at the times in the last few months where Giles has pitched back to back days. You had one at the beginning of June. After that, he takes two weeks off. One at the beginning of July. After that, he takes two weeks off. Then he doesn't go back to back at all in August, goes back to back the beginning of September, takes one week off. So that to me is a pretty clear pattern of when Ken Giles goes in back to back days, he needs a week off or more. And that's not good if you're a contending team. You want to be able to turn to someone when you have a couple games in a row, you know, day game after a night game. There are tons of occasions in the course of a season where a good team will win twice in a row by a narrow margin. And if you're a good team contemplating meeting what we believe to be a relatively high asking price for Ken Giles, then you want to be comfortable using him in those situations. So to me, that would be a concern. And I think that the Yankees, obviously, when they looked at his medicals, were not totally thrilled with what they saw because according to Ken Rosenthal, that deal was scuttled at the last minute um, after some advanced talks. And, you know, you don't even have to know the medical reports intimately. We've obviously <laughs> haven't seen them. And yet I think that the results kind of speak for themselves when you look at a guy who needs an extended break every time he goes back to back outings. When you look at the usage for Ken Giles, like it almost looks like somebody who is, I'm speculating here, but who is like carrying a bit of an injury, um, but you don't want to shut him down and you want to keep using him. Hey, maybe because you're going to try to trade him in the offseason. Because uh, Ken Giles has obviously had elbow issues this season. I mean, he's had the inflammation in there. He's been on the IL because of it. As you said, like, you know, after he pitched three, to, you know, back to back days, that clearly aggravated something for him. And you just kind of look at the way the Blue Jays have been really careful with picking their spots with them down the stretch. Like, it kind of looks like there are, you know, if this was a different scenario and this wasn't somebody who you were invested in their trade value, maybe would have been shut down by now. Speculating, but. From an outsider's perspective, it kind of looks like that. Yeah, it's not hard to imagine. I mean, you think about the wear and tear that any pitcher has. And from what uh, I understand, yeah. you could basically take an MRI of any pitcher's arm at any time and find a reason to put them on the IL. I mean, yeah. these guys just throw so much. And it's actually something, as a bit of a side note, it's something that some pitchers kind of watch and monitor. And Ryan Barucki was telling me over the weekend that he is going to be more mindful of the just kind of day-to-day -day tossing they do before games, you know, at 2 p.m. in the afternoon or 4 p.m. They're out there just throwing and throwing and throwing. So they're all banked up. They all yeah. throw so much. And so I'm sure that if they wanted to find a reason to put Giles on the IL, they could. Now, they don't want to. I think it's something worth worth watching and something I, I intend to write about in the next week or so as the season winds down for sportsnet.ca because it is one of those interesting things worth keeping an eye on. It's an interesting point because some guys um, want to be throwing a lot in order to keep their arms loose. Um, you know, they think that's actually a benefit to their arm care. Like you look at some of the driveline protocols, like they want you throwing a lot and sometimes like throwing really aggressively, like really short high intensity bursts with like weighted balls and you're throwing them in interesting, you know, you're throwing them behind you and you're like, you know, watch some of the Trevor Bauer videos and he's like doing two spins and whipping them at a, at a wall that looks like, you know, really intense and they've had a lot of success with their arm care. So it's like nobody really, you know, obviously you have to individualize it because nobody's really sure. And I don't think there is like one blanket, you know, arm care routine that's good for everybody. You got to find what works for you. It sounds like for Ryan Barucki, maybe throwing a bit less 
is what's going to work for him. But it it's it comes back to like the the thing where you know teams will say, oh, you know, he, he's missing time because uh, he's got inflammation. Yeah, they all have inflammation. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they all have it. Yeah, you can like you open up any major league pitcher's like shoulder or elbow, like uh, a surgeon's going to find something to do. Right, bone chips or yeah. bone spurs or some sort Fraying. of yeah frayed ligaments. There's always going to be something in there. It's just a question of can the guy pitch through it? Does he want to? Does it make sense for the team? Um, in the case of Giles. We don't know exactly what's going on inside his elbow, and maybe it's pristine for all we know. But generally speaking, pitchers yeah. who have been used that much would have some sort of issue there. And when you look at Giles, just if you get out of the kind of like the weeds of the Blue Jays that we're in, and you just look at his season, it's like, oh, hey, he has a 202 ERA. Yeah. Uh, that's top 10 in baseball among relievers. He has a 14-1 K per nine top 10 in baseball yeah. among relievers. He's not walking a ton of guys. He's not giving up a ton of home runs, fewer than one home run per nine innings. In the aggregate, like you just look at the line score, you just look at the Fangraphs page, it's like, yeah, he's having a great season. The warning flags come when you just kind of look a bit closer at how he's gotten to this point, but that shouldn't discredit the fact that he's had a really remarkable year while throwing in the high 90s consistently. No, that's a good point to go back to those numbers, right? Because we're, again, in the weeds. Sometimes you spend time thinking about, well, why is Derek Law closing out a game for the Jays? And it starts you thinking about Ken Giles. But when you do look at the numbers, wow, impressive. His stuff is nasty. He's obviously got the slider. He's got the fastball. That's what you want to see. And that's one of the reasons he does have trade value. I'm just saying it's not as high as I think it could be. And you look at the guys who he's keeping company with, like atop those leaderboards. So like in terms of some of the best relievers in baseball, Liam Hendricks, like Adam Ottavino, Zach Britton, uh, Brandon Workman, those guys all have like 20 more outings than he does. Right. So it's been an availability issue. Ken Giles has only appeared in 49 games. Liam Hendricks has been in 70. Ottavino, 70. Workman, 68. Britton, 64. Uh, Giles isn't yet at 50. And if you are acquiring him to pitch out of the back end of your bullpen and you're trying to win games and contend in 2020, you need him available. Like you can't have this uncertainty of whether or not you're going to be able to go to him or whether if you push him too hard, like something might snap in the elbow. Like you need him to be on call when you call on him. (laughs) Well played. All right, I want to loop back to what we are talking about at the beginning of the podcast and how we evaluate Vladimir Guerrero Jr.'s season because I think we should also evaluate the seasons of Kevin Biggio and Bo Bichette. Uh, let's start with Biggio because obviously he is uh, the talk of the town at the moment. Hitting a cycle, he's on this insane hot streak. Um, I don't know if you've looked at it recently and you're going to know just by the way that I'm setting this up, but if I had to ask you who has the higher OPS plus and weighted runs created plus between Kevin Biggio and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who would you say? Oh, it's Biggio by a hair, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Kevin Biggio is having a better rookie season than Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Deep right field. That ball's gone. Kevin Biggio ties it up with his 13th home run of the season. He's on his way to third base, and he becomes the third player in franchise history to hit for the cycle. His second home, he swings and he crushes one. Deep right field, Kevin Biggio. That's a two-run homer. And that's before you count the defense. 
Right. Yeah. And the versatility, the base running. He's 13 of 13 stealing bases. So he's you've done a lot. It's a good season. Yep. And there was a point not that long ago, like maybe six weeks ago, where I would have said, you know, Kevin Biggio is just not hitting that well. Um, and he has turned it around in like a big way with a really strong finish to the year, whereas Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has had this really weak finish to the year. And that speaks to, you know, the differences in athleticism between the two, I would say, because they both have kind of like that similar plate vision tool. Like Kevin Biggio is an elite plate vision guy, elite discipline guy. And I think Vladimir Guerrero Jr. can be that as well. But Kevin Biggio stuck to it. And even when he was struggling, he stuck with it. He never expanded. The Blue Jays had to say to him, like, hey, could you swing more? Like, can you actually be more aggressive? Because you're so damn patient at the plate. I think that's why Kevin Biggio has kind of come out of this so well. It's because he's stuck to his approach. Like, he's stuck to uh, not swinging a crap and waiting until pitchers were in the zone. And he's been more aggressive on, you know, first pitch heaters, which is obviously a bit of an uh, adjustment to approach. But I think that just in terms of, you know, what he's doing at the plate, he's stayed consistent. And that's why I think he's had better results. Yeah, the results have been really good. And I, I think that you know, sometimes we go through the uh, the year and we look for this 30-game chunk or this, you know, 50-game chunk. With Biggio, you just look at the whole season yeah. and the results are there. I mean, the 784 OPS, drawing lots of walks, like you said, very patient hitter. And he brings you some versatility. I don't think he's that great of a defender at any one spot where he's just stealing the show defensively. But he's giving you an ability to play first base, second, right field, left. That helps this team. He also could play third in a pinch, although I don't foresee him doing much of that. So I think that that is a player you want on your roster. It's a player who still has, you know, five, six more years with the Blue Jays. Obviously, the off-field intangibles to this point have been stuff that his teammates and coaches speak very highly of. So you like to see that as well. And it's just become easier in the last month. And certainly with that cycle, um, it's just become easier to envision him as a regular second baseman and the need for reinforcements there, you know, it's probably less of a concern. You, I think you're pretty comfortable penciling him in as your everyday guy next year. The only issue I'll take with that is his defense at second base, which is still room for yep. improvement there. And I kind of wonder if like the ultimate outcome for Kevin Biggio is he is this team's Marwin Gonzalez or he's it's like Ben Zobrist or whatever. And so he like is this high on base guy who's going to hit you a bunch of bombs. He's going to play like, you know, five out of seven days. But on each of those days, he's playing a different position. So he's at second and he's in right field or he's in left field or he's at first or he's the DH. Like this year, I know the Blue Jays have wanted to give him everyday reps at second just to see what he could be as a second baseman and to continue to allow him to improve because it probably is the position where he needs to improve the most and it's a more challenging position to play than first base or then corner outfield. Um, but I do wonder if, you know, ultimately, you know, Jordan Groshans joins this team, uh, if Kevin Smith joins this team, if Santiago Espinal is here. Like, I do wonder if Kevin Biggio ultimately becomes that kind of everyday utility player. Yeah, and that's great. I think in a way the Jays would love to see that. I don't think he needs to be fixed at second base because, you know, he's certainly not Roberto Alomar out there when it comes to making plays. And that's fine. He's certainly been solid out there. One player I look to as a kind of comp for him is just Neil Walker. And I know it's not the most exciting name, but quietly Neil Walker's had a 21 war career. Yeah. Kind of gives you pretty good offense as a left-handed hitting second base when he doesn't field all that much. A little bit of power. That's easier to envision. And when you zoom out and you think back to the spring of 2018, I remember him coming out to scrum after one of the games where, uh, you know, all the kids were playing and 
at the time, you're kind of lumping him in with Casey Clemens as far as potential big league upside, right? Like you're just, he's more of an afterthought compared to Vlad and Bo. And what he's done in the course of the 2018 and 19 seasons is really impressive. And now he's easy to envision as a major league piece of some kind. It's a good example of those, like how the comparisons get thrown around, like inside the game are like so underwhelming. It's like, right. Oh, he could be, it would be great <laughs> if he was Neil Walker. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, you're right. He's Kevin Biggio in a very short period of time has gone from org guy to like, hey, this is part of the core, along with Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Lourdes Goriel Jr. and Bo Bichette, who we must talk about now because of the kids that we talk about so much with this Blue Jays team, I have not enjoyed watching any of them as much as I've enjoyed watching Bo Bichette. A, he has entered the big leagues and raked, uh, like just went off in his first couple weeks and like obviously has slowed a bit. Hasn't slowed that much, like hasn't slowed insanely, like hasn't had a big, massive slump, like still coming up with doubles all the time, still, you know, hits a walk off home run and he's still, you know, putting the ball in play and getting hits with two strikes and attacking and being aggressive early in counts, still running around the bases like a madman and playing a really good shortstop. Like he's just fun to watch. Like he is. And, he, and the confidence off the field, too, and just the way he answers questions. I love it so much. Yeah. Like, he's a star, man. Like, he he's not a star today, but he could be a real star in this game. I don't know. I think he's kind of a star today. Yeah. In at least, Toronto. At least in Toronto. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I meant kind of like nationally. Right. Yeah. yeah, and he has a chance to be, I mean, by this time next year, he could be a star nationally. There's no question about that. It happens pretty quick. Uh, when you think about guys like Juan Soto and Ronald Acuna Jr. And I'm not saying he's quite on that level, but he's not necessarily all that far off. And he's got to do it for more than 200 plate appearances before we begin to have that discussion. But yeah, like you said, so much fun. I mean, after the walk-off home run he hit Friday. Bo Bichette does not get cheated on any of his swings. He's doubled, singled, and walked tonight. Reached base three times, scored a run. 1-1 from Lions is hammered. That's hit to deep left field. Back goes Fraser towards the wall. Looking up. It's gone! Bo Bichette with the walk-off winner. His first walk-off knock in the big leagues, and he is mobbed at home plate. The Blue Jays beat the Yankees 6-5 as Bo Bichette walks it off with his 11th home run of the season. Charlie Montoyo says Bo Bichette called that shot. Charlie, I'm sure that was a a bit of a bittersweet win tonight. Um, What was the high like um, watching Bo do that? But what was the emotion watching Tim also go down like that? Honestly, this kid's going to be a star because uh, his confidence, you know, and and before the at-bat, he told a guy in the bench, you know, if they leave that left-hander on the mound and he throws me a slider, I'm going to take him deep. You know, that doesn't mean you're going to do it, but that's the confidence that he has, and that's just beautiful to see. And then he does it, you know, it's, it, was, it was awesome to watch. And then, you know, we asked Bichette after, like, so did that really happen? He just kind of goes, yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah. You know, like admitting it, but not overselling it either. Because the home run swing speaks for itself when you take a, a member of the New York Yankees deep and and walk off that team in your own home park. That's really cool. A great moment for him. Another good moment for this Blue Jays team to stay there with the Yankees and take a couple games from them. So it's been 
incredible to watch Boba this year. Um, and his performance, especially at the major league level, but even at AAA was good. And he's showing that he can hit beyond a doubt. He can hit at this level. And that's huge for this lineup. You know, you mentioned the 200 plate appearances, right? So he's at 208 plate appearances, 146 OPS plus. 941 OPS, right? So we were talking about 45 games. He has 29 extra base hits. How many plate appearances do you have before the All-Star break? Like 350? So let's give him 150 more and say he comes down to like, a, I don't know, 135, 140 OPS plus from 146. That's still an All-Star. Oh, yeah. Like that's a guy who's going to the All-Star game. If he just yeah. had that sample in the first half of the year. And then Bo Bichette is getting that national attention. And then all these writers are coming to his podium to talk to him and talk to him about his dad and talk to him about all these highlights that he's building up and to get those responses and to say, hey, this guy answers questions kind of differently than everyone else does. Like this 21 year old is uncommonly confident yeah. and uh, professional in this atmosphere, in this environment. If you just took what he's doing now and just put it in a different time of the year, you're talking about a guy who probably does have a lot more exposure. Yeah. At this rate, we'll see him at the All-Star game in Los Angeles next year. He will be, uh, I think, a much bigger star by then. And it's crazy. I mean, so this is this is a little bit unfair to do it this way. I understand we're kind of doctoring the numbers, but Whatever. on baseball reference, they have the per 162 pace. And if he did this for a full season, he would have 14 stolen bases, 40 home runs and 65 doubles. So that's just the kind of pace that he's setting here. And it's not that he's done it for a full season, but 45 games is not nothing either. No. In your first 45 games. Exactly. You've never played at this level before and you're 21. Yeah. And it's not like he's about to turn 22. Like he's 21, like turn 21 this year. And it's not like we're cherry picking and saying, oh, this is what he's done over his last 45. As you said, it's his first 45. That's insane. And he's doing it at either the most challenging defensive position or probably the second most behind catcher. And he's been fine at shortstop. Like his defense has been, he's made mistakes. It's not been perfect, but he can play the position. He plays it a little bit differently, right? Like he doesn't play it like textbook. You know, he kind of plays in his own way, which is another thing that I really like about him is because uh, it's like, I'm not going to compare him to Troy Tulowitzki right now, but it's Tulowitzki-esque in that he gets to balls in his own way and he like gathers in his own way and throws in his own way. Like he he, gets, he makes the plays, right? And it's probably not as a uh, developer exactly what you want to see. Like it's probably like not what Louis Rivera teaches in terms of fundamentals, he makes damn plays, man. And I think he's answered some questions at shortstop. We talked about Kevin Biggio going from org guy to now major league regular. Uh, Bo Bichette went from he's going to be a second baseman someday to now you can actually see him sticking at short in the big leagues long term. Yeah, I think that's the expected outcome. Anything else would be a disappointment right now um, if he doesn't play shortstop for the next five years for this team. So that's huge. And he's also gone from top prospect. I mean, he entered the season probably as number eight or 10 in baseball in the prospect rankings to now just one of the most exciting young players uh, in baseball. And that's huge for this team. That's that's best case scenario for Bo season. I don't think that the Blue Jays could possibly have drawn this up any better. You look at, you know, having Vladimir Guerrero Jr. being the best prospect in baseball coming up, right? Bo like looking like the best prospect in baseball as he comes in. Nate Pearson's going to be top 10 on every prospect list entering next season. You have this developmental success story in Cavan Biggio. Uh, you have two young catchers who are playing really well behind the plate, look like a pretty good future tandem 
defensively and offensively. You have Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who has had, uh, it's safe to say it's a breakout season, right? Um, you know, obviously was in, in, interrupted by injury, but there's no reason why he can't come back next year and continue to do what he did this year. Has this big breakout. Let's not screw that up, Toronto Blue Jays. Like, you have so many good pieces. Like, if you were just, uh, you know, random MLB executive and it was like, hey, here, you know, design a starting point like for your franchise that you were trying to build into a contender, having all those pieces in place, pretty damn good, man. Let's not screw this up. Go get some starting pitching this offseason. Address your outfield. Like turn this thing around. Like get I don't think the Blue Jays are gonna make the the playoffs in 2020. I'm you know starting to think like you gotta be a 500 club. Yeah, you want to put your players in a position to succeed where it's not like you're breaking camp with, you know, not to pick on these guys, but TJ yeah. Zoic and Jacob Waggis pack. And it's just all young guns and Ryan Baraki And, you know, these guys who have shown promise, Anthony K, Trent Thornton, if that's your starting five, all right. I mean, you can kind of squint and see a scenario where everything goes well, but really they need to reinforce. And yeah. so that means you're either bringing back Matt Shoemaker or you're signing a couple guys in free agency or both. You're trading for guys. There's a lot of opportunity here, like you said, to make this team just much more watchable, much more entertaining, have them compete deep into the season next year. And if everything breaks right, even contend. But you can't do it without pitching. And you can't do it without adding pitching, in my opinion. You can't do it with only the guys in this system. Probably can't do it without a center fielder either, uh, is the thing that the Blue Jays are going to have to address yeah. at some point. Uh, in terms of pitching, like, sure, bring back, like, Matt Shoemaker. Like, great. Like, non-tender him and bring him back on whatever deal you want. It's not enough. It's got to be more. It's got to be Zach Wheeler. It's got to be Jake Odorizzi. You got to go talk to Garrett Cole and see what you can do. It's not enough. And the year following, when Trevor Bauer is a free agent, get Trevor Bauer. Interesting. Go get Trevor Bauer. You know why the Blue Jays should get Trevor Bauer? Like, A, he's like his potential is that of a front of the rotation Cy Young winner. I know yeah. he hasn't had the best season. He's dealt with some physical things this year. He buys in to all of the contemporary training methods that you are trying to preach. He to, creates them. He, yeah. <laughs> if anything, like he, like he is the vanguard yeah. of that. And he has said publicly that he wants to sign one-year deals in free agency. He wants to go year to year in free agency. We'll see if he does. But if anyone was going to do it, it would be Trevor Bauer. Yeah. So if you could sign Trevor Bauer to a one-year contract for the 2021 <laughs> season, go do it. Because then you're not like you're not taking a bunch of risk on a starting pitcher. You're getting the upside of a guy who could win a Cy Young. Yeah. Uh, and you're getting somebody who should be. I know that like his uh, his personality has been de- debated and his clubhouse presence has been you know debated. But a guy who should be a positive influence on someone like a Nate Pearson who trains with him at driveline on other young pitchers in your organization who you want to you know develop arm care routines and have longevity and learn how to make their curveball as nasty as Bowers. How much do you think Bauer costs on a one year deal? Like if, if he does question. that, right? Yeah. So if he actually follows through and reaches free agency, which I think he will, and then seeks out a one-year deal. 40? Yeah. 40? Uh, yeah. I think it might more. be higher. Yeah. yeah. 45? Because if you imagine all the teams in baseball that could use Trevor Bauer on a one-year deal, they're all going to love the lack of long-term risk. Yeah. They're all going to love the potential of him as an ace starting pitcher. So yeah, I could see it going to 40 or 45. And what did the Blue Jays have? Financial flexibility. Yeah, no, I, I'm nothing on the books. If so, if the Blue Jays and we're fast forwarding here, but let's say 
Next year goes kind of the way we think it will. Trevor Bauer's a free agent a year from now. If they could sign him for a one-year, $45 million deal, do you do it? It would depend on how much money I have to play with that offseason. Like, if it doesn't eat up my entire budget, yeah, that yeah. offseason I might need to also get a center fielder. Sure. So let's you know? let's say that's most, but, you know, it's not all of your budget. You can still have some room to play with. If I still have room to, like, build out my bullpen and probably add a position player bat, absolutely. Like, if I had, if I could do it, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. As sure. long as the finances made sense. As long as the finances made sense, as long as Trevor Bauer is still pitching like Trevor Bauer. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It's a one-year deal. I, I would do that. I think the Jays would too. I don't know. I, I think they should. They have a connection with him from yeah. Cleveland. He uh, is the type of guy who I think is very, like, <laughs> put his Twitter aside, is very open-minded. So I think that he would be open to coming to Toronto, whereas some other players in MLB probably wouldn't because they don't want to cross the border and they don't want to deal with a foreign country. And if you spent your entire life in Alabama, you're going to go to Toronto, yeah. right? Uh, you, you know, he, as far as I know, like he's not married, doesn't have kids, no, doesn't have no, a family no, no, that's no, going to no. be a, <laughs> that's going to be a concern there, yeah. right? In terms of moving that. So he's the type of guy that you could bring here. And he's, he could be a frontline guy. This is like Cy Young caliber. I know he hasn't had the greatest season. It's a really, really good pitcher, man. Like when he wants a strikeout, he gets a strikeout. The sales pitch would have to be really good because there would be a lot of teams interested in, in doing that. You know, it's interesting. Trevor Bauer seems like such a single-minded guy when it comes to just trying to get better. And so that's that's huge, obviously. The Blue Jays um, love that. They, of course, yeah. I mean, that's he's just so purposeful when it comes to improving himself as a pitcher. Like, he's obsessed. He's yeah. obviously an obsessive person. I mean, that can work in his favor. It has worked in his favor. It's gotten him this far. So if they could do it, I think that would be a great uh, a great piece to add. He is data-driven baseball, and that's yeah. what the Blue Jays front office loves. It's like, okay, what's the data behind these decisions that we're making? Like, let's actually, like, analyze this. We're not just looking at, you know, a scout who said, oh, I saw him, he's good, right? Like, we're actually, like, taking data and applying it to our decision-making in order to optimize our operations. Trevor Bauer does that with his approach to getting better. Like, that's how he's ended up with one of the best curveballs in the game. Like that's how he's ended up throwing harder and harder because he goes to driveline and he works on this stuff. You think the Jays, so he was obviously traded this summer yeah. from Cleveland to Cincinnati. You think the Jays asked about him? Because I, I wouldn't be surprised if they made an inquiry. I bet you. Yeah. The thing was Cleveland clearly needed something in return that was going to help them now. Yeah. Right. So Offense. they, uh, and they got that. Yeah. Um, I don't know what the Blue Jays could have offered. Like it would have had to be a three team framework. Yes. Where the Blue Jays like send prospects or whatever it was going to be to someone else. And someone else sends the major league talent to Cleveland and the Blue Jays get Bauer. Yes. So they, the Jays in this situation would be the Reds. Yeah. Where they, and the Padres would still be the team sending the bats yeah. to, uh, although I don't no, know if the Jays had, went yeah, to, right, right, exactly. Cleveland too. So it would have been complicated, but I, I, I wonder if they had at least a little bit of a conversation there. Maybe there, you could have included like Giles in there, right? Sure. That could have been, yeah. you know, right. Cleveland was looking for a little bullpen help. Yeah. That's a deal you'd make. Sign Trevor Bauer. That's what I want the Blue Jays to do. That's Ben Nixon Smith. Abby Nicholson Smith on Twitter. I'm Arden Zwelling. Our producers, Amal Delich and Drew Livingstone, work the cameras today. Thanks to him. Thanks to you for listening. Talk to you next week on At the Letters.